something? Did we vote to assault women's sports with men? Did you cast a ballot for 8.5% inflation? Did we vote to dismiss, castigate, isolate, and dehumanize half the population of this country for their beliefs? The underpinnings of this country's government is founded in rule of law and the truth. And here to explain exactly what the truth is, Dan Newman. Gotta be honest with you, sometime that is a moving target, that truth thing. And no matter how hard we look, it just gets deeper and deeper and wider and wider and harder to get figured out. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? I'm Dan Newman, and thank you to TNN Live. And uh, joining us now from Washington, D.C., Congressman Mike Johnson. Good morning, sir. Hey, Dan. Hang on just a second. Hang on just a second. Let's see here. Had a little operator error there. Are you there now? Yes, no problem. I do that all the time. <laughs> well, good morning. Uh, I'm sure you've got everything under control up there. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, we're, You know what? We're anxious for November 8th. Uh, the country is in dire straits right now. We all know that. And we cannot wait to take control again. We're going to have a new direction, and we're excited to roll that out. Well, uh, let's talk about that. You and I, we uh, spoke through text during the weekend about the commitment to America that was rolled out, at least in part, last Friday. Um, it sounds exciting. It harkens back to what Newt Gingrich did with uh, the Republicans as they took over Congress in, I think it was 92, and it was the contract with America that Newt Gingrich did, and it was pretty incredible and had incredible results. Is this kind of a mirror of what happened back then? It is, Dan. They, they caught lightning in a bottle. That was 94. 94 and yeah. um, that was the first time that Republicans had regained the majority in the House of Representatives in 40 years. And it was able to do it. We believe a big part of it was because they went out in that election cycle, you know, it was in the midst of the Clinton era. And they com- campaigned not just on what they were against. Obviously, they highlighted all the errors that were being made by the liberals. But Importantly, they said what they were for, you know, the, the principles that they would support, and they even made some specific commitments with regard to legislation, et cetera. So um, that was wildly successful, and that's the reason we all still remember it today. And so we brought Newt in, amongst many others, and he's been working with us in House leadership for the last uh, several, over a year now, uh, to develop this plan, updated plan. What we call it now is the commitment to America, and you've seen all the Republicans fan out across the country over the last several days explaining this to the people and it's been you know it's been very well received and so give us the skinny the highlights they're all good i've um, as you and i spoke uh or at least through text the other day i was concerned because um minority leader mccarthy did not hand out something with written details of it and that that bothered me just simply because i wanted to make sure it made a huge bang when it was rolled out and people really saw the substance there. I know you're one of us when I say this, we're really tired of being told things. And I'm not just talking about Republicans, I'm talking about from our government, period. And then there's never any substance and nothing happens after the fact to back up what we're told. Yeah, exactly, Dan. And you know my heart on this. You know, I I came into Congress, a little background for our listeners. I came into Congress in, in January 2017, uh, at the same time President Trump came in. 
And um, I'm going to be real frank with with your audience because they're very savvy and, and acknowledge that our Republican majority that we uh, that we got that year uh, really dropped the ball in some ways. We we achieved amazing successes over those first two years of the Trump administration because Republicans who were in charge of the, the House and the Senate and of course the White House. We all worked together. We implemented our plans and we got an extraordinary amount of things done. But we could have done even more. And and the the big lesson was learned in the first two to three months of that Congress, the 115th Congress it was, because we, we, we fumbled the ball. If you remember, the first big effort that we had with those majorities to, was re, to repeal and replace Obamacare. Uh, but the problem was, to be very frank, and in hindsight, everybody can see this, we didn't. the Republicans didn't have a bill actually prepared to do that. Even though everybody had been campaigning on it for years, lamenting you know the the, the problems with Obamacare, um, Paul Ryan and the leadership had not prepared a bill to do it. And the reason was, Dan, because everybody thought that Hillary Clinton was going to beat Donald Trump. Everybody except Donald Trump <laughs> thought that he was going to lose. And so they didn't think we would actually have the governing moment to be able to get a new piece of legislation signed into law. So we scrambled to put one together. I mean I was a, you know the, one of the lowest ranking members of Congress at the time. I didn't have a lot of say in it. And I was so frustrated, and my classmates in that freshman class were so frustrated because we just weren't prepared. And so I purposed to myself, and some of my best friends in Congress did as well, that so much as it was within our control, we were never going to be caught flat-footed again. We were going to be ready to govern. And so in the the next Congress, the next two-year period, I ran for and was elected to the chair of the uh, Republican Study Committee, as you know, and that's the largest caucus of conservatives in Congress. We had 148 members. And while we were in the minority those two years, we worked, rolled our sleeves up, and produced over 400 pages of specific policy prescriptions and legislation to solve all of America's greatest challenges. So what we have today is kind of a culmination of a lot of that work and additional work that we've done over the last, the most recent two-year period in developing this plan, developing these proposals, and getting this ready for the American people. We are going to be ready to govern on day one when the new Congress starts in January. Can you give us the bullet points of maybe the first four or five pieces of legislation that you guys are going to roll out when you win the House? Yeah, let me give you the, the overarching sort of the theme of the commitment to America. And this is the message that was that was rolled out on Friday. Um, Kevin McCarthy, uh, who is the majority or minority leader right now, Republican leader, uh, took about 20 members to uh, Washington, Pennsylvania, not, not Washington, D.C., but Washington, Pennsylvania, which is a suburb of Pittsburgh, to roll out the plan because the optics are important too. We want the American people to see and to know this is not Capitol Hill swamp creature stuff. This is this is born of and for the American people. And so we went out to the hardworking folks there. It was actually in a factory that this was rolled out. And then over the course of that day, all of our members fanned out across the country and began to message the same thing in, in our districts. I came home to Louisiana and did eight events on Friday all across uh, North, uh, South and West Louisiana. Uh, to roll this out. And, and the, the themes are very important. It's it's four basic principles. We, we are committing to America to have an economy that's strong, a nation that's safe, a future that's built on freedom, and a government that's accountable to the people again. Um, beneath each of those big, broad categories are a number of subcategories and details. Um, but, you know, at, at the 30,000-foot level, that's what we're committing to, and that's why it's been so well-received. And by the way, Saturday morning, uh, Kevin sent a text message to me and the other members of the House leadership, Republican leadership team. And he said, um, in 24 hour period, there were over 2,200 headlines and news stories generated across the country. So the word's getting out. I think this is resonating with the people. 
people are hungry. There's so right. much that's bad in this administration. And I got to be honest with you, every day it seems like we have less and less hope of getting through, at least uh, struggling to get through the end of this administration. Let's just well, say, right. let's just say you guys take the majority. And I'm hoping, I am hoping and praying and hoping that somehow we can get that uh, slim majority over in the Senate as well. But say you do, we still got two years of Joe Biden as president. Uh, I can't imagine how much damage he can still do. He doesn't need legislation. He proved it. All he's got to do is issue an executive order and he can change the government. Well, that's right. You're right. He's abused that executive order authority. And much of that is working its way through the courts right now by way of legal challenges. And that that's the only recourse when a president just completely defies the law and, and convention as he has and the Constitution itself. Um, so we're, we're working our way through that. But one thing that's guaranteed is if, if we if we at least win one chamber, and that's the House, which all pollsters right, left and center believe that's going to happen. It's just a question of how big, how, what the size of the red wave is. Right. At least we can stop the hemorrhaging. At least, you know, the House controls the has the power of the purse. Um, we have control over the tax and monetary policy and all of that. And so at least we can begin to reverse the direction, uh, the, the, the crazy path that the liberal Democrats have put us on. If we win the, the Senate as well, and I'm with you, Dan, I think they're, I'm very optimistic. I think we have a very good chance of retaking the Senate at least by one or two seats. And if we have both houses of Congress, then we can really start cooking with gas. Now, we pass legislation through both chambers and send it to the White House, We'll dare Joe Biden to sign it. But there's a big multi-trillion dollar question hanging over uh, over the, the White House. There will be at that time. And, th- and that question is this. We mentioned 1994 with Newt Gingrich and the contract with America during the Clinton era. And, and when Bill Clinton, after that election cycle, it was such a big red wave. He never saw the light, but he certainly felt the heat. And so Bill Clinton moderated his views. He was governing as a progressive. They were, they were wrecking the country. But then when that happened... He extended a hand to Newt and said, let's work together because Bill Clinton was a realist. He, he didn't want to uh, you know, be uh, sidelined. He wanted to try to do something for his legacy. And so by working with the Republican majority, they were able to do welfare reform. They, they checked off all the boxes for the contract with America. And that's because Bill Clinton worked with them. Now, the question is, will Joe Biden uh, play that role? Does he even have the fortitude to do that? Because everyone will be yelling in his ear, all the progressive left that have pushed him so far left, will will um, will throw fits and have gnashing of teeth to prevent him from doing that. But the question will be literally at his desk. And Bill Clinton defied his own advisors and worked with Newt. And in hindsight, he was he was grateful for having done that. And the country was well served. So we'll have to see what this president does. That brings this question up. What do we do? What can you guys do if he goes harder left and he refuses to work with you but continues down the path we're on now every part of our government every single part everything that he touches it's it's in the tank everything and it's going to take a concerted effort over a period of years to get it fixed if we can get it fixed what if he doesn't work with you what are our options what can be done well it's true look i mean it, we don't. It would take us all morning to um, to lay out what <laughs> yeah. all the crises are. There's a crisis with inflation, immigration, energy, yeah. crime. You know, foreign policy, supply chain, um, children's reading, writing, and math scores. You know, the recruitment of, of 
persons for the military. All of it, everything is a disaster. So yes, it's not. We won't be able to go in and flip a switch uh, the third week of January and, and turn everything around. But we will certainly lay down the foundation and the groundwork to begin that process. And you know, when we have the legislative branch pushing in the right direction, it will have a dramatic uh, effect. Now, it's it will certainly be true that we will reach an impasse on most or all of our agenda because you'll still have Democrats in the White House. It'll it'll either be Joe or Kamala for the next two years, we expect. So um, because that is the case, we'll set up what will be an epic um, presidential election year for 24. And um, that will determine ultimately the fate of the republic because you, this is not hyperbole, and you and I both know it because we talk about it all the time. This is we, – we're in, our, we're in a, an unprecedented – crisis in our nation we have never been in uncharted waters like we are right now and as i've told audiences on friday all across louisiana remember we're still an experiment in world in in self-governance we're only 246 years into this as a country for con elizabeth ii who just passed had a 70-year reign her her reign on the throne was about a third of the lifespan of our entire government our entire country so this is uh these are dangerous times. We've got to get the policy right to fix it and save the republic and preserve freedom. And uh, we, we'll, we'll do everything we can every day to make sure that happens. Congressman, one of the most, I guess, loudest things that I'm hearing in the way of fear from our voters, uh, our listeners, some of many of or in your district in the 4th Congressional District in Louisiana, is the fear that is being put in Americans' fear of our Department of Justice, it seems like they are totally 100% in the tank, weaponizing everything against conservatism and conservatives. Uh, I don't see any way that can be fixed easily. Do you? Um, It won't be easy, but it will be fixed because it's absolutely necessary to do so. And um, for any of your listeners who don't follow me on social media, I mean, I'm, I'm on the House Judiciary Committee. I'm, I'm the uh, leading Republican on the Constitution subcommittee. We have uh, epic showdowns with Attorney General Merrick Garland and the Biden DOJ constantly in that committee. And you can go to the video section of my Facebook page, for example, Rep. Mike Johnson, and you can see where we are calling them to account. But right now, as you know, we don't have the gavels. We don't have subpoena power. The Republicans have no authority to, to set a hearing or to do an investigation. But all of that is going to change in January. And we believe that accountability is a critical uh, component of what that we are committing to the people, the American people, to do and to fix. And we have oversight responsibility in, in the House, and particularly in my committee in judiciary. Jim Jordan and I and our, and our other uh, uh, Republican colleagues there take this very seriously. And so you're going to see oversight on steroids beginning in January, early January. Um, we're going to the very top officials of the Department of Justice, Department of Homeland Security. They're all under that umbrella in our jurisdiction. So it'll be Attorney General uh, Garland. It'll be uh, Secretary Mayorkas at DHS and other officials who have abused the authority, their authority. And I believe those two at least have committed impeachable offenses um, because they are destroying the very institution, the very system of justice that our country relies upon. And, and the danger cannot be overstated. I've got a couple more things I want to visit with you about, but I want to urge you to do this and urge those people you just mentioned, Jim Jordan, got some great active Republicans in uh, positions of power right now. It'll only go up, of course, if you win the majority back, but make it as visible as you possibly can. We, uh, we here at TNN Live, we play a lot of 
the uh, YouTube video segments when you are in hearings, and you're on our show pretty regularly as are your fellow um, patriots like Jim Jordan, the American people need to see more of that. We need to be able to get our arms around it. When we are cherry-picked, just given what the news wants to show us, uh, often we get left out and we don't have a good way to go on our own and find those things. I encourage you, I would encourage you personally to start your own YouTube channel and just put things up there that the people in the 4th Congressional District and others want to know what's going on with our government as we move forward because this is a crisis time. I mean, I'm looking at, you, you've got children, you don't have grandchildren yet. I have six grandchildren and uh, I'm scared to death for them and my great-grandchildren because this is a heavy-handed government that's got to be stopped because destruction of this nation is on their plate and it looks every day more and more like that's what their goal and objective is. It, it, it does look intentional and you know in some of those hearings I have pointed that out. I, I told DHS Secretary, Department of Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas um, about eight months ago only he, he had only been in office three months and he was already completely derelict of his duty and i and i thought intentionally opening the border and allowing for this fentanyl crisis and human trafficking and all the rest and i told him he needed to get his resume prepared because we would be in charge soon and his days are numbered so um that that's not idle talk man i, I believe this to my core and you and i both know how serious it is and yes i'm i'm in this office i ran for this post because I was deeply concerned about the direction of our country. And I have four kids. They're now ages 21 to 11. I don't know what country they're going to inherit. And so we have to fight every day. Freedom is, is not inherited in the bloodstream, as Reagan said. It's got to be defended. It's got to be understood and fought for and passed along to the next generation. And that, that fight begins in earnest in early January of next year when, when we have the gavels and we have control. And you're going to see this um, in vivid display, I promise you. One more thing before you go cancellation of student debt which if it happens it's not cancellation all it is is transferring the obligation to repay it right to the american people can that be done legally can the white house do that legally and can it be stopped no he the white house you know i mentioned earlier that the, the house of representatives in the congress has the power of the purse the, the white house cannot no no president can unilaterally wave a magic wand or sign a piece of paper and spend what is going to be nearly a trillion dollars. You just didn't have that authority to do that. You can't cancel a debt like that without going through a vote of the Congress. So there are legal challenges already being mounted to that and being filed. There'll be some from the states. We're, we're trying to figure out an angle for standing so that we as members of Congress can challenge it ourselves. But um, you can look for that, that, uh, that litigation uh, to be uh, developing over the next few months. It'll take it a while to get through the appellate courts. But they're certainly going to seek an injunction of that right out of the gate so it can be held up while the courts review it. I I think it's clearly, clearly an act that was unlawful by the president. I think he knows it, by the way, Dan, because he has at least a couple of legal advisors who did go to law school and did pass their classes and understand this basic stuff. I know that they informed him, but he said, you know what? It's a great election uh, campaign strategy, a ploy. Let's tell everybody that we're going to, uh, you know, wave the magic wand and erase their debts, and the Republicans are going to impose it on them. And let's see what bounce we can get in the polls for that. Oh yeah, so what if it gets struck down six or eight or nine months later? At least we will have gotten the the advantage of it in November. But you know what? I think it's going to backfire on them. I think people are, they, they get it, they understand the, the fix is in, and this is unfair, and it's not right. 
and it would it would put our fun- country, of course, further into this freefall of um, of debt that is our number one our number one national security threat right now. So um, look, we're, we're going to challenge every one of those things in court, and we're going to fight them legislatively, and we're going to turn this country around. I'm I'm optimistic about it. Do you have a relationship with Ron Klain? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> Here, here's why. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know you don't have access uh, to the president, but I thought maybe his uh, White House chief of, chief of staff you may have. Somebody needs to get in his ear and tell him that Corinne Jean Pierre, the White House press secretary, oh, he's terrible. She embarrasses the nation every time she opens her mouth. But that, but that's the best one they can get. That is the best <laughs> spokesperson they get, and that tells you a lot about the other people. No. Uh, Congressman, I just wish that everybody could be like us. <laughs> uh, right, right. Thank you so much for coming by. You're always welcome. And you promised you'd come back before the election. Maybe one more time if we get a, a few it. changes. Let's, let's do it. We'll make it happen. All right, buddy. Have a great one. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Okay. See you soon. Bye-bye. Congressman Mike Johnson, 4th Congressional District. Yeah. Corrine Jean-Pierre, she embarrasses me. My, I get red-faced for President Biden when I hear her come up with some of the garbage she comes up with and how she's kept the gig. You know, getting a job is one thing, but being able to keep it is something else. So anyway, anytime the congressman comes by, we welcome him in. And he is in leadership, for those of you listening. He's been in leadership for a while, and if they get the majority, the Republican Party gets a majority going forward, third week of January, he'll really be plugged in, and he is a friend to this show. Uh, I also vote for him. Um, He's running unopposed this time. He uh, saved a lot of money because nobody stepped up. Anyway, he's not perfect. He and I have one-on-ones, and sometimes they get a bit contentious. Uh, If you know me, you know that I'm pretty... Um, opinionated. I was trying to think of a softer word, but I can't come up with one. But isn't it good when we can have our representatives actually speak to us, not talk at us, but to speak to us? And with all the problems, all the issues that people in politics have, I could never be in that business. And I've had one opportunity to do so at the state level. I declined. I could never do it. It would drive me nuts and it would cause me to drive everybody else in my life nuts in politics. It takes a special person. And listen, I don't care if you disagree with Joe Biden, if you disagree with Nancy Pelosi, or you disagree with Mike Johnson or anybody in politics. Let me tell you what you're called to do, as am I. We need to pray every day for our leaders, even Joe Biden. Now, wait a minute. I'm not saying love what he does and love the actions he's taking. I'm not saying that at all, but he's the captain of the ship run. And we certainly want the captain of the ship to get us to the next port safely, don't you think? And in this case, that would be Joe Biden. So pray for him that God will give him wisdom, that God will uh, very dramatically and demonstratively let President Biden know when he's contemplating making a bad decision for the people and at least let him know there's consequences that go along with that that you may not want to deal with, Mr. President. Hey, we've got much, much more today. Don't forget it's Tuesday, our second hour on every Tuesday 
photojournalist, investigative journalist Steve Baker will be here at the top of hour number two. That's about 35 minutes away, and we've got more between now and then. In the steel industry, we dedicate our careers to supporting this country, making products to build infrastructure and skylines, creating jobs, supporting families. And when domestic materials are used, the money stays in our communities. That's what really matters. These people, these places, that's worth supporting. Does it matter to you that all our chefs are well-trained? Or that our kitchens are both SLSI and GMP certified? That we freshly bake goodies throughout the day? Well, it matters to us to know that your family will enjoy every bite. At Kiehl's, we're fresh because of what we do. But more than that, we're fresh because of you. Wendy's famous 4 for 4 is heating up with a new spicy crispy chicken sandwich. The queen of spice is delivering that spicy chicken you love with lettuce and mayo between two deliciously soft buns. And yes, in classic 4 for 4 fashion, you can get all that spicy goodness with spicy or crispy nuggets, fries, and a drink to cool off, all for just 4 bucks. Is it getting hot in here? Or did Wendy's just deliver the hottest deal in fast food? We got you. Offer includes four-piece nuggets, junior fry, and value drink. Price participation may vary. This is the sound of regular water droplets. This is the sound of vitamin water droplets. Regular water. Vitamin water. Regular water. Vitamin water. Hey, come on now. Vitamin water. It has vitamins, but also parties. Back to business as usual here at TNN Live. Hey, we've got a monster that is headed into the Gulf of Mexico. Came across Cuba and talking about Hurricane Ian. It is a big one. And it's going to make a mess in the west coast of the Gulf Coast of Florida. In other words, Tampa, St. Pete, the left side of the boot that hangs down, they're in for a biggie. And do you know that there hasn't been a direct hit by a hurricane of Tampa in 70-plus years? And this could happen early Tuesday morning. Uh, excuse me, Thursday morning. I'm very concerned about it for a lot of reasons. I uh, grew up in South Louisiana with lots of hurricanes, but my best friend lives in Sarasota, Florida. Uh, Spoke to him early this morning, and he's riding it out, he and his family. So be aware of what's going on down there and pray for those people. I mean, it's a spooky time. If you've never been in a weather horror show like a tornado, the aftermath, or a hurricane, you really don't understand what can happen. Everything, I mean everything you own, can be torn away in just a matter of minutes. And the things that you spent years putting together, like maybe buying a home, maybe building a home, and all of the stuff that you've accumulated, memories, treasures through the years, it can all be wiped out in an instant. And that happens every time we have a storm a hurricane or a tornado, somebody is losing a lot. 
and remember that. And uh, if you know people down there, I, I, I would recommend that you give them a phone call, a text or something, and just let them know that you're supporting them. Anything they need to do, pick up the phone and call you. Now, at the end of that conversation with Congressman Johnson, I couldn't resist. I had to bring up Jean-Pierre, Corrine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary. And every time she gets up at that podium, she embarrasses the nation, <laughs> not just herself or the president. She embarrasses us all. Yesterday, she defended Joe Biden's lack of communication with the governor of Florida over the hurricane, Hurricane Ian. Now, one would think you could lay aside your politics, especially when you're looking at a national emergency that's in the making, and especially in one of the most populous states in the nation, Florida. But not Joe. NBC News senior White House correspondent Kelly O'Donnell asked Jean-Pierre yesterday if Mr. Biden believes it's important to communicate with DeSantis about a potential crisis from the hurricane traveling toward central and northwest Florida. The press secretary said the administration is able to provide for people in crisis without communicating with local politicians. I cannot believe she would say that. Why? He is the president of everybody in Florida, and the direct representative for everybody in Florida is their governor. He should be on the phone. Any good, every good president that I can think of when there's a natural disaster that is impending, they always get on the phone with the governors of the affected states. Just to, if for no other reason, let them know, hey, whatever comes up, we got your back. Why Joe Biden would do that, why he would politicize something like this is beyond my comprehension. Jean-Pierre said this, what the president believes is it's important that federal resources are provided for the people of Florida. That is the most important thing, to make sure that we are there for them in this time of need, and that's why the president reacted right away to make sure we are able to surge resources before, and he did this before landfall. So that is the most important thing. It's about the people of Florida, she said. It's not about public officials, especially in this time. And so again, as president of the United States, as president of folks in red states and blue states, he's going to keep that commitment. You've seen him do that over the course of 19 months where there have been extreme events, extreme weather again in red states and blue states. And he's done his job as president to make sure that we are there for the people in the state. I quoted her. That's one run-together sentence. That's the spokesperson for the nation. It blew me away. when I. The reason I read it verbatim is I can't believe a professional in communication at any level, but in the freaking White House, would say this. Quote, 
So that is the most important thing. It's about the people of Florida. It's not about public officials, especially in this time. And so again, as president of the United States, as president of folks in red states and blue states, he's going to keep that commitment. And you've seen him do that over the course of 19 months where there have been extreme events, extreme weather again in red states and blue states. And he has done his job as president to make sure that we are there for the people in the state. That is so presidential, so journalistic. So the reporter then asked if the lack of communication between the governor of Florida and the president would compromise relief efforts. Of course, she came to the president's defense. She pointed out that Biden did not speak to Republican Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves during the recent water crisis in Jackson which left residents with unsafe drinking water or a lack of running water, and they're still having that problem there today. And here she goes again, quote, and so that's a perfect example. Kelly O, when you mentioned the governor of Mississippi, you're right, they didn't speak, and we still were able to deliver for the folks in Jackson and for the folks of Mississippi. You had our EPA administrator on the ground. You had FEMA administrators on the ground, and not just them, but also folks who work for those two agencies. And you had the Army Corps of Engineers. So you had the full power of the administration. We surged resources on the ground to make sure that we did everything that we can to help the folks of Mississippi. This is the same. No difference here. Forget about the fact that she's African American. Forget about the fact that she's lesbian. None of those factors into what you just heard. She, right now, is the spokesperson for the nation. And as Congressman Mike Johnson said a few minutes ago, that's the best he could find. There'll be somebody listening to me that I'll get a text or I'll get an email saying, you're racist, you're homophobic. No, I'm not either. I just think we always, as a nation, should put our best foot forward, especially when we're very visible in everything we say and everything we do to our enemies abroad and also to every American. We need to always show we've got things taken care of. Let's go back to the president. He claimed yesterday that the cost for a gallon of gasoline is under $3. He lied. (laughs) There's not a single state where the average price of gasoline yesterday or today is under $3. In some states, it's below three bucks, he said. It's in the low threes in other places. No state has an average price under $3. That's according to the AAA, American Automobile Association. The lowest price for a gallon of gas is in Mississippi, which is $3.04. But Biden didn't bother the correctest statement. Last week, he made a similar claim, which was fact-checked and corrected by the White House as inaccurate. They come out every day, every single day, and they have to readdress things that the president misquoted or misrepresented. In 41 states, plus the District of Columbia, 
the average price of gas is less than $2.99, he bragged. And that was during a DNC event in D.C. yesterday. The president struggled through a White House event on the economy, repeatedly coughing, clearing his throat as he spoke. Excuse me for the cold, he said. He appeared to be sucking on a throat lozenge while he was speaking about the economy and those higher cost of goods and services that keep going up, but everything's good economically. Got more people employed than ever. Oh my gosh, our unemployment rate is through the floor. Everybody's doing good. People getting raises. Nobody's getting raises to keep up with the cost of inflation that came from him. He won't talk about that though, will he? But he did go on patting himself on the back in the get-together with the Democrats yesterday. We made historic progress, he boasted. He again demanded gas stations bring down their prices on gasoline. Remember that? He beat them up. Oh my gosh, at the beginning of this, it's not about any policy from my administration. It's about those evil oil companies and those gas station owners. They're gouging the American people. They're not. They're trying to make, listen to this, nationwide. I've talked to dozens. I tried and almost bought a chain of truck stops years ago. And when we were doing our due diligence, we talked about where do you make the most money? What's the biggest spot in your business where your gross revenue gives you profit, real profit, bottom line profit? Is it in the fuel you sell? They said, absolutely not. We're lucky if we make a penny a gallon in gross margin, not profits, in gross margins. The guy in the White House has no comprehension about business, none whatsoever. He's never worked in the private sector, never. And it is impossible for anybody in politics who has not come from the private sector, has not worked professionally in a place where you got to have revenue and you've got to watch your expenses. And if you don't take care of both, you're going to go out of business. He has no clue. And the people that he surrounds himself with obviously don't have a clue either. Or if they do, they're not getting through to him. Because he says the craziest things you can imagine embarrasses me all the time. And I'm going to tell you how bad it is around the world. Our nation, in many ways, in most ways, is the laughing stock of planet Earth because of our leadership. I mean, take out of context the things that we know, the things that you just heard Congressman Mike Johnson talk to me about. People overseas, they're not seeing those specifics at that level, but they're seeing the collage of all of the Biden administration policies going together, and they see what has happened to our nation on his watch. And so when things like that begin to happen, not just here, but in other nations around the world, when they see leadership failing, they begin to look closer and closer and closer. And our buddies down south at Sky News, they're watching President Biden. We play probably a couple of times a week little sound bites of their opinions, the news division of Sky News, 
television division, and they're aghast at what we're living through. Let me give you an example. Let's kick off here with what might be the weirdest and creepiest thing Joe Biden has ever stood up and said before a crowd. That's a pretty high bar, I grant you. But just have a listen to what the president said to a group of teachers yesterday when he recognized an old friend in the crowd. Guess what? We got a lot to do. Gotta say hi to me. (laughs) We go back a long way. She was 12, I was 30, but anyway. This woman helped me get an awful lot done. Anyway. I'm sorry. What? Let's let's hear that again just to be sure we, we all got that right. Guess what? We got a lot to do. Gotta say hi to me. <laughs> we go back a long way. She was 12, I was 30, but anyway. <laughs> this woman helped me get an awful lot done. Anyway. She was 12, I was 30. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. I'm not sure what the worst thing about that whole episode was. I mean, was it Joe Biden making a gag that would make most people think pedo? Which is a pretty dangerous area for any politician to head into. Not the least someone with his, shall we say, penchant for sniffing the hair of young girls and whose own daughter is believed to have written a diary said to belong to her in which she talks about taking, quote, not appropriate showers with her father. Or maybe it was the fact that the audience laughed along with him when he made the crack. Remember, by the way, this was a group of teachers responsible for kids we're talking about here. Or perhaps it was that as the increasingly senescent two-bit Nero made this speech, the ticker on the bottom of the screen recorded the U.S. share market plunging to a new low for 2022. Whatever the answer is, it is indeed creepy as hell. I mean, this is the guy who in 2019 had to issue a blanket apology to all the girls he'd sniffed before for his inappropriate physical contact and lack of respect for their space. An apology that was, by the way, quickly put on the record and then memory hold by the media, which was, of course, much more concerned with Donald Trump and his treatment of women. But Joe, ah, nah. in the great tradition of Democrats dating back to Ted Kennedy and beyond, he got a pass. And of course, this is the same Joe Biden who back in 2014 was accused of swimming naked in front of female Secret Service agents, comprehensively grossing them out. I mean, I know Secret Service agents put their bodies on the line in the course of their duties, but surely seeing a naked, wrinkly Joe Biden's bits flapping in the breeze as he sails off the diving board goes well above and beyond the call. Not that Joe Biden, of course, doesn't have a bit of a history when it comes to swimming pools. (laughs) And by the way, you know, I sit on the stand and it get hot. I got a lot of I got hairy legs that turn, that, 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 that turn uh, um, blonde in the sun. And the kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down so it was straight and then watch the hair come back up again. They'd look at it. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap. And I've loved kids jumping on my lap. Oh. Now you can, of course, 
was only imagine the reaction to by the press if a Republican, particularly one named Trump, had made what could have easily been interpreted as a scandalously poor taste joke implying that he was a pedophile or had to apologize for being too handy with women or had gotten his kid off in front of women in his protective detail to say nothing of if he had had a daughter who made such revelations in her diaries which, as with the contents of the Hunter Biden laptop, everyone seems to have agreed to agree are perfectly genuine, but simply not to be discussed in polite company. Of course, this is not the only weird thing the president did this week. Have a look at him here, wandering off, dazed and confused, like a nursing home resident looking for the dessert cart after giving a speech to an outfit called the Global Fund in New York. Mr. President, thank you. At the end of such a momentous event, the word thank you seems kind of inadequate, but for all the millions whose lives will be saved, for the communities where life will be transformed, thank you. So thank you, President Biden. Can you imagine being the camera there? He won't stand still! was the president seeming to undo America's policy of strategic ambiguity when it comes to Taiwan? Would U.S. forces defend the island? Yes, if in fact there was an unprecedented attack. After our interview, a White House official told us U.S. policy has not changed. It's not the first time he's done that. Incidentally, this makes at least the fourth time his comments on Taiwan have had to be walked back <clears throat> on that issue by the White House, leading, of course, to the question Who's really in charge here? But one thing we haven't heard yet is what the White House has to say about Joe Biden's bizarre, she was 12, I was 30 comment. No, they're too busy defending the indefensible, like Joe Biden's performance regarding the economy. Remember those taking stock market figures we saw a moment ago? Well, here's Karine Jean-Pierre, White House spokeswoman, on how things are going. We are seeing, and I've said this before, you've heard this from Brian Deese, is a transition to a more uh, steady and stable uh, growth, and that's what we're currently uh, uh, seeing and in the process of moving the economy into. <laughs> Whatever you say, Kareem, frankly, defending Joe's bizarre joke would probably be easier than that. I, I almost did not bring that one to you today because... It almost gets a little bizarre, but it is from Australia. One of our partners, our global partners, a close partner to the United States, Australia. That is their number one news media, and they they did what you just heard. That should make every American embarrassed. It embarrasses me. That's a commander-in-chief. Let's kick off And that's the way those people down there feel about our president. That's not good. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 
may not be able to lower the cost of gas, but we can do something about how many miles you will drive per gallon. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store today and let us help you increase the performance of your car or truck. Simple things like replacing your air filter, changing worn-out spark plugs, and using fuel injector cleaner can add up to better fuel economy and big savings. There's an O'Reilly Auto Parts store close to you that has the name brands, low prices, and people who can help. Restore lost fuel economy and eliminate rough idle with Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner. Right now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, buy two and get one free. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner quickly cleans clogged injectors to increase fuel efficiency and help your vehicle run smooth. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner, buy two, get one free at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. for best life minus the burnout i'm zuri hall from nbc's access hollywood and my new podcast hot happy mess is all about the most important vip you join us each monday as we discuss relationships self-care career and much more our podcast is for mindful ambitious diverse millennial women who are ready for more happiness laughter peace and purpose now iHeartRadio is number one for podcasts and it's easy to see why listen to hot happy mess every week on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts New Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry dragon fruit and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for a contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Is the insanity making your head spin? Okay, let's sit down and figure this out. Together. Again, Dan Newman. There's so much insanity going on in our government today. As you probably heard when we were talking earlier at the top of this this first hour with Congressman Mike Johnson, and I talked to him about the Department of Justice and how it has become weaponized. It seems like every day it gets worse and worse. Now, remember yesterday we told you about that pro-life activist Mark Houck He was arrested by the FBI for shoving a Planned Parenthood worker outside a clinic in October of 2021. And his lawyer said this yesterday. He argued that the Department of Justice's actions prove it exists solely to intimidate people of faith and pro-life Americans. Now, what is this all about? Well, Hauk, Mark Hauk, is a father of seven. He volunteers as a sidewalk counselor outside of abortion clinics in Philadelphia. So he was indicted last Friday by a grand jury, and he faces up to 11 years in prison and fines of up to $350,000, and he's been charged with two counts of violating the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act. What that is about It makes it a federal crime to interfere with someone's ability to access an abortion clinic. How he claims he was defending his 12-year-old son from verbal harassment when this alleged incident occurred back in 21. Rather than accepting Mark Houck's offers to appear voluntarily, the Biden Department of Justice, they decided to make an unnecessary show a potentially deadly force. Here's what they did. They sent 20 heavily armed federal agencies, agents to the Hauk residence at dawn, at dawn Friday morning. 
Now, you can imagine the chaos that showed up. He has seven kids early in the morning. You got a SWAT team, 20 of them, knocking on your front door, grabbing dad and arresting him and hauling him off. Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri said, I want to know from Merrick Garland, the attorney general, directly why Biden's DOJ is arresting Catholic protesters and treating them like terrorists, complete with SWAT-style tactics, while letting actual terrorist acts like firebombings go unpunished. Now, what's he talking about the firebombing? Listen to this one, folks. Last week, crisis pregnancy centers still are waiting on anything to be done. Pregnancy clinic was firebombed in Jane's revenge attack, and they have now sued police for surveillance footage of the act that happened. What's this all about? Remember after the pro-life pregnancy center that this guy runs outside of Buffalo, New York, was firebombed and vandalized on June this past summer, James Harden gave investigators video surveillance footage of the attack along with what he described as a mountain of other evidence. And of course now, nothing's been done. I know that probably doesn't surprise you. He's frustrated that no arrests have been made in the case after more than three months, and he wants that surveillance footage back. He said, it's day number 106. There have been no arrests. There have been over 50 attacks on pro-life pregnancy centers around the nation, and our patients is at an end. He, by the way, is president and CEO of Compass Care Pregnancy Services. Harden said that he's asked both the FBI and local police for access to the footage so he can make a copy of it. He hadn't heard anything. They won't even respond. The police showed him still images taken from the video, he said, but would not give him access to his surveillance footage. So, on Tuesday, Compass Care filed a lawsuit asking a judge to order the cops to provide Compass Care with a copy of the footage. Time is of the essence to commence a civil litigation because the longer time goes by, the more likely it will be that those responsible for the firebombing will spoliate other evidence. The legal action is the latest manifestation of mounting frustration about what some see as a lackluster response by the FBI and even other law enforcement agencies to the wave of violent attacks on pro-life groups and Catholic churches across the U.S. since an early draft of the Supreme Court decision that overturned Roe v. Wade was leaked back in May. This is the kind of stuff that when we were talking to Congressman Mike Johnson, I referenced when I said, People are scared of our Department of Justice. We don't understand why they're doing things like this. With what authority are they doing things like this? This is still the United States of America. And I don't care what your last name is or what religion you profess to be part of, if any at all. You still have the rights, and you have the rights to be considered innocent unless and until you were convicted of a crime. Mark Houck hasn't been tried. He's not had a chance to stand up in court and defend himself. What is happening is what has been happening for 
centuries at other countries around the world where the government makes sole determination of who gets what, who doesn't get whatever, who's guilty of whatever they say they're guilty of, regardless of the facts and not given a chance to be considered innocent until proven guilty. So, Black Lives Matter, their sycophants that join along with them burned a huge section of Minneapolis. Billions of dollars in damages. Major companies, stores, even shopping centers burned. Businesses forced out because they didn't even have a place to run their business anymore. People were actually killed. Nothing done by the Department of Justice. Nothing done. Nobody's being held accountable. Now that's Black Lives Matter. Look what happened in Portland, Oregon. Almost every night for over four months in Portland, Antifa thugs tore down downtown Portland. The federal government had to send special agents out there to stand up in the wake of the every nightly storming of downtown that happened and the attacks against the federal building there. People were hurt. One man was shot and killed. Hear anything about those people getting arrested? And here we have somebody that's a Catholic exercising a constitutional right to demonstrate. And he's at, with his son, a abortion clinic. And somebody begins to berate and threaten his son, 16-year-old son. And he steps in between and pushes the guy that's threatening his son. He gets arrested. He's facing hard time in jail and fortunes and money. And they storm his house. When he volunteered... After he was indicted, he volunteered that he would come down and turn himself in. It's not about the rule of law. It's about proving who's in charge and who has authority over everything. And today, folks, sadly, nobody that's honest can say that this government, this Department of Justice specifically, but this government, is of the people, by the people, and for the people. That's not the case. I don't know where we're headed. And that's the reason why when I was talking to Congressman Johnson, I wanted to know what his thoughts were on timing, what could be done, what might even be realistic to expect to be done if and when the House takes back control of the House of Representatives, if the GOP takes control They won't assume control until the third week of January next year. Can you imagine, even if they win, even if they win a huge majority in the midterm elections in November, what is going to happen on Nancy Pelosi's watch from November the 8th until January 20th? Imagine how much damage she can do through the House of Representatives in that three-month period. It's a scary situation. It really is. Wow. We're keeping our eyes on the hurricane coming up into the Gulf Coast. It won't hit. Probably at Tampa, they're estimated that it would be sometime early Thursday morning. 
but we'll keep a watch on it. If you've got family and friends down there, I will tell you, if you're on the Gulf side of Florida, in this situation, you probably need to get out of Dodge. Maybe give them a call and say, come stay with us for a while to keep you safe. When we come back in just a moment, Steve Baker, photojournalist, investigative journalist, who's been undercover in a human trafficking, child trafficking process down in Houston now for two weeks. He'll be with us live. He'll give us an update, plus a couple of more things he's bringing to us. Steve Baker, up next. Welcome to McDonald's. Can I take your order? Yeah, I'll have a pre-meeting pump-up, a Monday fixer, and a screaming boss recovery. So that's one peppermint mocha, one McCafe frappe, and one fruit smoothie? Yep. Name your drink. McDonald's has it. We're your destination for those special flavors that help you get through your day. Get any small McCafe smoothie, frappe, shake, or espresso drink for only $2. Even the delicious new peppermint mocha. For a limited time, price and participation may vary. Don't miss our iHeartRadio at-home session with Jesse McCartney. Presented by Hellman's. An exclusive and intimate performance. At a time when we're craving live music. Watch Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on iHeartRadio's YouTube. Missing that restaurant flavor at home this summer? Hellman's is bringing crave-worthy flavors to you. Serving up new drizzle sauces that you can put on pretty much anything. With flavors like cilantro lime, roasted garlic, and creamy chili honey, you can drizzle, dip, and dress to make home the best restaurant around. Carb up with Yakisoba, the noodle masters. No matter what stage of life you're in, we have the perfect noodles for you. From birthday noodles to wedding noodles, all the way to those most final of noodles. Every occasion has a noodle at Yakisoba, so experience something different. Yakisoba, it literally means fried noodles. Disruptive may be just another overused buzzword, but disruptions in business like network downtime, data loss, social media abuse, and limited bandwidth are downright disruptive. For businesses large or small, Barracuda Networks offers powerful, affordable, yet easy-to-implement content security, application delivery, and data protection solutions, all designed to prevent disruptions and simplify IT. For an online demo or to try any of our security or storage solutions risk-free for 30 days, visit barracuda.com disruptive. Every Tuesday about this time, we, uh, we've got the sinister Papa was a Rolling Stone song going in the background. We got Steve Baker, who's uh, he crawled out of the weeds down in Houston to uh, join us today. And as he does every Tuesday, he brings us up to date on some things that uh, we don't really get the inside scoop on. And in this particular case, He's been embedded in a group of people that are human trafficking specialists at finding out all kind of stuff. Mr. Baker, are you there? I am. Good morning, Dan. Are you healthy? I am. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not only I'm not only healthy, and despite the fact that I uh, drove most of the night, I'm. Uh, I, in fact, I just got home and in front of this microphone about an hour ago. Well, um, I know you've got a lot on your plate coming up, and I want to get into that, but I want you to debrief us. I like to use that term. You know, when you get <laughs> you go out and do a secret service job and you come back and you debrief. I want you to debrief us on what you found. Uh, I appreciate, and our fans really thought a lot about the uh, 
the inside scoop you gave us a week ago. We were scared because of what you faced down there, but kind of give us a quick summary so those that are tuning in the first time know where you've been and what's gone on, and then tell us the latest about Houston. Yeah, the the quick summary for everyone who is not up to speed on that is that uh, about a month and a half ago, uh, by complete accident and through a what has to remain a confidential source up to this point, I was made aware of a human trafficking situation down in Houston that was completely unknown to local authorities, uh, either the Houston PD, state police, or the even the, the federal officers there, the FBI. And uh, as a result of the veracity and the reliability of the source, I was able to bring in some other reporters. I was able to also bring in some help from some actual human trafficking experts that work outside of government now. They work with still, but their job is now outside of government, though previously that was not the case. And, and so this is a real learning curve for me. I, I didn't go into this as an expert, but I went into it just with that, you know, kind of investigative nose and realizing that I had something substantial worth following. And so as, as we kind of jump forward and jump through um, a month and a half worth of work on that particular story, I found myself, I think this, I think we updated everybody on this last week of, Friday a week and a half ago, I found myself sitting in the front seat of a truck working on an actual case with a, a human trafficking investigative specialist on a case that was actually handed to him by the FBI themselves. And this was, you know, we can, we can weave a lot of new and very hot off the presses news stories into this <laughs> Dan, but the, the reality is, is that the FBI does not have the resources themselves, or they're maybe, I don't know, distracted by other concerns like arresting, um, pro-life activists in Pennsylvania <laughs> we just, uh, with a SWAT raid. We just, uh, we just did that story for Mr. Mark Houck. And, uh, I, again, I told you we had Mike Johnson, Congressman, on, right. the, on the phone a little bit. And I, I really, I, I got into it with him about specifically, can we stop this weaponized department of justice that are just, I mean, they're like third world country governments now. Yeah. They just go after people. It, it is, it is truly a frightening time. And I, and this is not hyperbolic, Dan, when I say this, I am not just for my own situation, because I have my own reasons for concern related to the FBI, as you know. Obviously, you um, you live your life looking over your shoulder every day. <laughs> That's right. I wake up, uh, well, actually, I go to bed every single night of my life wondering if tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. I'm not going to have a dozen red dots on my chest when I answer the door. I, and I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. That's I, I understand. Every night before I go to sleep. Yeah, I understand. I believe it. And so I found myself in this situation where I was, I'm just, I'm just a ride along. I'm learning. I'm asking this guy a thousand questions specifically about this new thing that I've gotten myself involved in with human trafficking. And he read me into the entire file. He was given a case handed to him by the FBI, basically as a subcontractor to the government to go out as a private investigator 
to track down and hunt down a guy that's trafficking underage girls across multiple state lines. And this is, again, because they obviously have their priorities on other areas. So there you go. That kind of sets the stage. And I think maybe we were up to date a little bit uh, from last Tuesday morning. But here's what but I, I, I've got to tell you this story. And I think, you're, I think your listeners will really appreciate this story. Go for so it. Last, so last Tuesday after we talked, it had already been determined that that was going to be kind of a writing, planning, decompression, and uh, catching myself up on all my notes day for all the work that I'd been doing for the previous week down there. So I, you know, admittedly right here in front of God and everybody, I'm a, I'm a cigar aficionado. I think better. I work better. I type better. Uh, I write better when I have a cigar hanging out of my mouth. I'm right there with uh, you, Chief. Yeah, so, you know, think of uh, uh, Tolkien with his pipe and C.S. Lewis with his cigarette. We all seem to write better in that circumstance. But the bottom line is, is that I found a cigar lounge close to where I was staying in Houston. I walk in the door about 3.45 such p.m. And I was the only person in the, in the lounge at this point, and the proprietor welcomed me, really friendly guy. And I, you know, I told him I was on the road traveling. He obviously saw me with my computer there. And I said, I just need a place to work for a few hours. I'm just going to curl up in one of your big comfy leather chairs in the corner and go to work. He said, yeah, absolutely. Pro, no problem. Work as long as you want. But I just wanted to let you know that at seven o'clock, we have a group of men coming in for the Tuesday night Bible study there. And I went cigar lounge. He said, oh yeah, yeah. He said, yeah, it's, it's beer, bourbon and cigars and a Bible study. <laughs> And I'm thinking, well, you can't get more Texas than that, right? Oh, my gosh. We live in the South, buddy. <laughs> yeah. So I'm thinking to myself, I I think that I it would be curious for me to sit in on that because I'd probably just get a story out of it, if anything else, just as a writer. But I also had the other problem is that I had not had a single bite to eat yet all day. Not anything. I was drinking coffee all day and nothing to eat. And as you know, after a couple of cigars on an empty stomach, you probably should eat. So I um, was still working and about 6.45, the guys start coming in for the Bible study and they start rearranging the chairs into this big circle. And these are these big, heavy, you know, leather chairs. Well, I'm in the most comfortable one in the very corner. So literally by seven o'clock, they have me trapped. I am not getting out to go to dinner. You're going so to be, kinda, you're going to be there with in a Bible study is what it is. Yes. That's exactly what's happening. So I, I kind of smiled to myself. I closed the lid of my laptop. I set it down beside myself and then it begins. So the guy who was running, leading the, um, the study, he introduced himself and he said, I see we have a couple of new faces here. And there was a dozen guys there. And he said, I, I, what we normally do is we go through this 90-second drill. So we're going to take 90 seconds and everybody will, 90 seconds at, some, at a time, will introduce themselves, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, you know, that kind of thing. Well, they're going clockwise and they start with a guy to my immediate left. So that means I'm going to be last. So 90 seconds time a dozen guys means I have a lot of time to determine how I'm going to introduce myself. And I've got options, Dan. I can introduce myself as a professional musician. I can say that I'm a writer, or I can say that I'm a 
uh, investigative journalists investigating the seedy underside of your fair city right now. <laughs> so, I, I'm which just way waiting. did you? Which way did you go? Well, that's this is this is where this story is going. So, about halfway through the room, one of the other new faces, he introduces himself as a former Marine, a little bit down on his luck, in between jobs, blah blah blah. So. The guy who is running the Bible study, he's sitting to my uh, exact right. So all of a sudden, he asks the Marine, he says, do you need a job? The guy says, well, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for one right now. He jumps up, the, the Bible study leader jumps up, reaches in his pocket, pulls out his business card, steps across the room to hand the Marine his card, and in the process of doing that, he says, I run a security and personal protection service. We provide personal protection and security for uh, athletes here in town, politicians, high net worth individuals, blah, blah, blah. And I would be very interested in talking to somebody with your skill set. Most of the people that work for me are former military, uh, special forces operatives, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Dan, I decided right there how I was going to introduce myself. <laughs> As you can imagine, I picked uh, the uh, investigative journalist investigating the seedy underside of your city. So when I did that and told them what I was actually looking at, the Bible study leader looks at me and says, we need to talk. And I said, yes, sir, we do. So at 6.30 the next morning, I am on a planning call with two of his special operatives and we are deciding how we are going to go and look at that building that I think I may have mentioned last Tuesday that I had stumbled upon that yeah. was being guarded by a uh, cartel lookout member. Yeah, you did. You gave us the, the, the big skinny, and that's what had all of us really concerned about uh, your welfare, to be honest with you. So what ended up happening is I, that uh, next morning, on Wednesday morning, last week, I went downtown Houston. I rented a bicycle. Now I'm looking like a tourist bicycle guy, but I'm wearing a body hidden body camera. And so I made a run past the backside of this um, abandoned building. And by the way, that's an abandoned school building. It's an old Head Start, Head Start school building that had been uh, condemned because of the flooding from the hurricane five years ago. And so I made a run by that. The lookout was not there. I made a run around the front of the building, couldn't find it, couldn't see anyone that was actually watching the facility at the time. So it just, again, another, something you might call a coincidence. God, this investigator uh, slash security guy slash personal protection expert, his office is only a mile from where this building is, <laughs> downtown Houston. So my next move is after I take the rental bike back, I drive over to his office. I walk in, I show them my, my videos that I had just taken from the, the, uh, my little surveillance of the building itself. And his guys were there and they all looked at each other and said, let's go. 30 minutes later, we went through the door of that building with guns drawn. Wow. Yeah. So, so the moral the the the, the moral of the story <laughs> is that there's there seems to be a hand guiding 
what we're doing down there in Houston right now. Well, I got to be honest with you. I, you know, I'm a Christian and I believe God really cares about people. And I believe God cares about young people, children and teenagers more than he cares about adults, to be honest with you. And uh, I don't doubt that what happened in the cigar bar and you're making that connection was a divine connection. And uh, all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. And big boy, I know your mama. <laughs> and she she definitely feels that for you. So it's a good thing. Is there yeah. a good ending so far? You have an ending no, for us. We do not have an ending to this story yet. The long-term projection is that the actual investigators involved in this process down there, they, because I'm a writer, they want me to tell their story. They have actually said to me, we don't trust reporters, but for some reason we trust you. And will you tell our story? Because they don't believe that either the press, Hollywood, either in movie or television or even documentary, has told the story of what they're up against down there and what they're dealing with every day. And they said, will you tell them, will you tell our story? And I said, yes. So this is now going to be quite a long-term project to me in addition to everything else that I'm involved with. Well, I see a book maybe at the end of it, maybe a movie, maybe a documentary. What do you think? Well, there's, there's other incredible connections right now, and I think I may have mentioned one of these last week. I, I don't remember whether I did or not, but after my initial foray into this particular case, a very close friend of mine who spent 30 years in Hollywood as a Hollywood executive forwarded this story to, um, <laughs> this is quite a, quite a name here, you know who Stanley Kubrick is? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's one of the <laughs> Clock, greatest. Clockwork Orange. <laughs> yeah, 2001 Space Oddity, yeah. Dr. Strangelove, yeah. Spartacus. I mean, just keep going down the list. And and his daughter, Vivian Kubrick, who also now lives in Texas, another uh, expat Californian, is very involved in the um, child trafficking world as well in terms of uh, as an activist against that and in support of those who are working against that. So I've actually had a couple of phone calls with her already, and she's very interested in this story. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's I, it's just six weeks ago, Dan, I this was not even a, uh, not a single brain cell of mine had ever even given a moment's thought to actually delving into that world. You know, we know about it. We, we, we're concerned about it. We care about it. We're, we're, we're aware that this is happening. But uh, six weeks ago, I had no intention of being involved in this um, type of investigation. Well, let's circle back to the investigation. The last time we, uh, you were with us last Tuesday, we talked about the guy that followed you that was at this building, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And you uh, went back th- at midnight and... Uh, I can't believe you went back at midnight, but anyway, you did. And we kind of left the investigation at that point. The actual human child trafficking investigation. Can you give us an update on anything? Yeah, as far as the the initial uh, case, 
we do not have a resolution on that. Okay. We did, in fact, find evidence of the children's uh, activities and location in the brush, but not in the school, uh, not in the uh, not in the building. And, okay. No, not in the building. So we we uh, we naturally assumed that that particular look that particular lookout was watching, probably uh, standing guard over a drug exchange or something that was taking place inside there that day. Yeah, it's a good thing you didn't go in. No. It is a very good thing I did not go in. Not a good part of town to be uh, by yourself yeah. at night, especially. Yeah. Well, let's talk about where you're headed next. Now, for folks that don't know, Steve Baker, um, his big thing happened on January 6th, and it's not just his only big thing. But uh, the thing that brought all of this to fruition was he was in the middle of the January 6th, whatever you want to call it, insurrection, uh, they've got a million names for it, but you know what I'm talking about at the U S Capitol in Washington, DC. And Steve is a very good photojournalist, and he was there doing that work. And he videoed tons of everything that happened in and around the Capitol. And there's been a lot, as you know, of misinformation that has purposely been thrown out by the government, also by the media. And it's wave after wave. Somebody says this and then they share it with somebody else. And it's all blown out of proportion. And one would think that there were armed conservatives that were at the U.S. Capitol that had Gatling guns. And they were going to kill every Democrat in Washington, D.C. that day. That's how broad it goes and how wide it goes. But the Oath Keepers were implicated in all of this. Tell us who the Oath Keepers really are. Well, the Oath Keepers are an organization founded by a gentleman named Stuart Rhodes a dozen or so years ago. And he wanted to have a group of men who had and women who had already taken an oath to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, by means of their previous service in law enforcement uh, or with a federal agency or in the military. And so uh, over the course of the next dozen years, he'd put together an organization of tens of thousands of gentlemen who wanted to continue serving the country with the oath that they had taken uh, while in actual service and on the payroll of the government, whatever level. And so they have a history of, are you ready for it, Dan? Zero violence. Zero violence. Zero. No, everything Zero. I've heard, let me stop you there. Everything I've yeah. heard about the Oath Keepers is they walk around with guns. They all have long hair and beards, and uh, they're all KKK-type people. Well, sometimes they do walk around with guns because that's what they do. They provide personal security. They provide event security. As a matter of fact, because even when Trump was doing rallies in blue states, blue cities, where the Secret Service was not given by the local government the support they needed from local law enforcement, you know how that happens. Oh, yeah. When the Secret Service comes to town, they engage with local PD, the sheriff's departments, the state troopers, and such as that. But if you're in the wrong city, the wrong uh, state, and your name is Trump, you may not get what you need. You won't get what so you the, need. Right. So the Secret Service actually would engage with the Oath Keepers themselves to provide additional security. And in fact, on January 6th, the group of Oath Keepers that were there that day 
were actually working with the the Secret Service in the security barricade with inside the security barricade there at the ellipse where the speech was taking place. Huh. The Secret Service said, hey, would you go do this or would you go watch that boat or would you hand this? Like they had brochures with instructions for certain types of people. And would you go hand these out for us? That sort of thing. Right. So these guys were there doing a job. They were not there for insurrection. They were not there to invade the Capitol. As a matter of fact, uh, Joe Hanneman from the uh, Epoch Times just yesterday I posted a story which the title says FBI transcript shows that Stuart Rhodes, the, the founder of um, the Oath Keepers, told agents in his interview that he ordered the Oath Keepers away from the Capitol on January 6th. We covered that. We covered that. We covered that story. going to be corroborated. And just so you know, because I've seen it, that's going to be corroborated by his private messaging transcripts, which have not been made public. Wow. But I've seen them. Wow, wow. Going to be corroborated in the trial, assuming Judge Maida allows uh, that exculpatory type of information to be presented, because at this point he's been shooting everything down in flames. So the oath keepers the in, in the aftermath, the oath keepers have been portrayed as being bad seeds that were there to instigate violence, yada yada yada. That's been the mainstream story, and yeah, and they are exactly the opposite of that. Give us the update on the trial that is upcoming, what you know about the trial. Well, uh, I think we may have talked about this with your listeners before. I'm, I'm actually working with the legal team for Ken Harrelson, and he's one of the Oath Keepers from Florida who is and has been sitting in uh, the D.C. Gulag for over 500 days now, often and for many, many, many weeks or months at a time in solitary confinement. But uh, Ken is unfortunately one of those individuals who literally had no other intent in his heart or mind but to go up and provide security for a side stage where some speakers were going to be at 2 o'clock on January 6th on the Capitol lawn, as a matter of fact, licensed from the, the park police, permitted, and obviously that didn't happen. So he found himself there without the very thing that he was called upon to um, head up the security on that stage. And when the, the remaining Oath Keepers that were at the Ellipse moved then to the Capitol, he joined with them. And then at that, there was a moment where they did, in fact, for just, I think, for less than 10, 14 minutes, something like that, that they were actually inside the Capitol. The only thing that Ken did wrong, technically, if he broke a law at all, it was the glorified trespassing charge. But he's charged with 11, 12 different counts, including violence, including forcing the door open, which none of the Oath Keepers did. There's no video. In fact, every bit of video that is seen uh, proves that none of them were engaged in any violence whatsoever. As a matter of fact, at one point, when the famous officer Dunn came down with his M4 automatic rifle down the steps and was con- confronted by some of the more nefarious actors on that day, Ken Harrelson put his body in between this Capitol Police officer with an automatic rifle and the more nefarious uh, ne'er-do-wells and brought calm to the situation. 
that's what he's guilty of that day. So here, let me, I'm, I'm finding it, even though every day my research and what we do here and the stories that we publish, I see all of this stuff. I talked about it ad nauseum with Congressman Mike Johnson at nine o'clock mm-hmm. this morning here on TNN Live. I'm frustrated because I'm seeing our government do stuff that the government's not supposed to do. There is not any justification whatsoever under the law, Constitution, even D.C. law, that justifies putting somebody in the gulag, as you call that D.C. jail, for a year and a half awaiting trial. And what he is charged with um, for pretty much 90% plus of the people that have either pled to or been tried, it's, it's dropped in seriousness down to misdemeanor charges. It's like yes. the government is weaponized itself against its people. And this Oath Keeper trial that is about to go on, it's representative of that. What is the, what is the feeding thing that is causing this to happen that you've been able to nail down for yourself? Well, if we're talking about what, what's feeding the government, is they need the ultimate patsy to take the fall for this. And it, and it is also a misdirection from their own involvement that day. And you and I could wax on that for forever. Yeah. A full show. Yeah. yeah. Because, because the government's involvement that day is, um, it's not just apparent to those of us who are looking, it's being head hidden by those purposefully by those who don't want us to look any further. That's why we have so many, I think we're up to somewhere in the 140 or 160, uh, range of individuals who we picked out of videos doing bad things who we have clear high definition facial recognition of who they were or are. And yet for some reason, those people are not on the FBI's most wanted list. They don't fit so the, we, pro- we, they don't fit the profile that the FBI, if they're going to tag this on somebody and make somebody, as you said, be the right. patsy, it's got to be right. one of those evil, evil conservatives, MAGA people. Yeah. And, and, and this is, this is taking this another step further in the case of Ken Harrelson himself, he is a completely apolitical guy has never voted in a presidential election in his lifetime. Wow. He's neither, neither a Trump supporter or, or, you know, he's just, he's just not that guy. He's an American. (laughs) He, he, yeah, it's, he was he was after uh, becoming a disabled veteran. He went to work as a welder for SpaceX down there in you know uh, in Florida, and then he would be the guy. So there's a hurricane coming to Florida right now. So yeah. this is this is what this guy was known to do. This is the guy that when a hurricane was tracking in their direction, he, and everybody was ordered to evacuate, he would go to all of his neighbors, and he says, "You get your family out of here." I'm staying. I'll watch your house. No looters will will bother your stuff. And he would stay during the hurricane so everybody else could leave with the security of knowing that their properties would be safe while they were gone. So is his trial about to start? Uh, yes. As a matter of fact, jury selection begins today for his, Stuart Rhodes, and three of the other Oath Keepers. Are so you? Five, uh, I, was gonna, that? I was just going to ask you, are you involved in the trial? 
Yes, I, I will be there uh, by Saturday. I've got, as I said, I just got back from two and a half weeks in Houston on my last road trip, rather. And I will be taking care of, you know, a few days of personal issues. I've actually got a show on Friday with my band. And then Saturday, I'm heading up to D.C. And I will be there for between six and eight weeks until this trial is over. So next Tuesday, when you come back, you may have at least the beginning. And, you know, when they start jury selection, sometimes it takes a while. I got a feeling in this yeah. one, it's not going to take that long. Uh, and yeah, I the also... The jury selection process is, is not going to be difficult because they're not going to find enough people to eliminate anyway. You can't because it's the, the, the D.C. jury pool is so poisoned and tainted yeah. um, that 90... Polling shows that 95.5% of the D.C. voter base already has a negative predisposition towards the Oath Keeper's guilt. Wow. Yeah. So this guy, based upon uh, initially what probably will happen, he's he he may be looking at some hard time and some big money. I will. I, I probably, well, I have to be careful here because yeah. I, do, I am in single day. As a matter of fact, he and I are staying together in an Airbnb when I get there. So um, I can tell you that the entire legal team for all five of these, uh, this first round of Oathkeeper trials, there's, a, there's another trial beginning in late November of the next batch of Oathkeepers. They couldn't do they couldn't do them all at one time because of the space requirements needed inside the actual courtroom itself. But as a result of what this particular judge has done to these attorneys and to their presentations, their submissions, their filings, their uh, requests for discovery, all of their motions, their defense witness list submissions, all of these things, as well as their expert witness list. And this judge keeps shooting them all down that it's left this entire group of lawyers literally demoralized. They are going into this with the expectation that this is a fait accompli of guilt for all five defendants, and they're just going to have to come back in the appeal process. That is such a discouraging thing for any American to face, because I thought we were innocent unless and until proven guilty in a trial and a jury of our peers. That doesn't seem to be the case in everything dealing with the outcome after the January 6th incidents that happened that day. That's scary. And Dan, to just throw gasoline on this fire, the House January 6th Select Committee is firing up again with their nationally televised dog and pony show again tomorrow on the week of jury selection. Well, they've got to get as much dirt out in the marketplace of ideas before November the 8th, the midterm elections. That's the only hope I, I just, they have. Yeah, I, I just can't believe that there's not some federal judge somewhere who will not step in and say, stop this. Because yeah. all of the, the attorneys have, have petitioned for a, you know, a six, uh, at least a six-month uh what do you call it? A continuance on yeah, this. Yeah. They they've all petitioned for change of venue, and all of that continues to get shot down. It's just a 
it's literally, and if you're a Star Trek nerd, it's a Kobayashi Maru scenario. It's a no-win scenario. It's it's really saddening to even have this conversation and know what you're about to go into. But look, do this. Um, get as much as you can updated information, and I know you will because you're yeah. you're in the middle of it, and that's what you do. So next Tuesday, when you come back, you'll be able to give us maybe a, a kind of a forecast of projected stuff yeah. because there are a lot of people that are really concerned about this whole mess. And, uh, you know, they, they expect to have the jury selected this week and that's really fast for a trial of this magnitude, yeah, but that's yeah. because of the limited choices in DC. It's yeah. just going to go fast. Wow. And as a result of that, we will probably be in the courtroom Monday and I'll definitely have a, a, a good preliminary uh, forecast for you. All right, buddy. We'll be safe and uh, keep us posted and looking in your rearview mirror, the outcomes when they start to come back in from Houston. Make sure you update us on that stuff there. I will do that. Steve Baker, our friend, our partner on Tuesday. Thank you so much, buddy. We'll see you next Tuesday. Thank you, Dan. You got it, man. Take care. We're here asking people from all over what they think of lifting green tea. Let's hear what people from Texas have to say. Mm Mmm. How about China? Mmm. Germany? Mmm. How about people from the North Pole? Mmm. Or Mars? It, what about mimes? Oh, right. People with their jaws wired shut? Oh. Yeah, a barbershop quartet. Mmm. Mmm. Oh, you guys are great. How about race car drivers? Mmm. What about you, high school glee club, here on a field trip? Well, that settles it. It sounds like everyone loves the taste of Lipton green tea. With its protective antioxidants from real tea, it's not just good for you, it's mmm to you. Lipton tea can do that. Hi, Tom Bodette, quote, checking in on my smartphone. Everyone's checking in nowadays at airports, restaurants, appointments with certain medical specialists. Seriously, people, TMI. Anyway, thanks to the Motel 6 mobile app, you can book a clean, comfortable room at Motel 6 on your smartphone and get a great rate. Then when you get to Motel 6, you can check in after you check in. Your friends will be totes jealous. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6, and we'll leave the light on for you. The Truth and Dan Newman goes together like beans and rice, brats and kraut, you and the future. TNN, The Truth News Network. So far, our first hour and a half has been jam-packed. Congressman Mike Johnson from the Louisiana 4th Congressional District was with us for about 25 minutes at the top of the show. And of course, you just heard Steve Baker, photojournalist, investigative journalist, Uh, been down in a human trafficking situation, a very secret investigation in the Houston area, and he's involved, now headed back to Washington, D.C., and the Oath Keepers trial, which is underway right now, at least in jury selection. i tell you what we're going to do. Many of you want those those, um, conversations, those interviews, and I'm going to make them very easily available to you. You know where you go to get your podcast of this show after the fact. It doesn't matter if it's Spotify, iHeart, Stitcher, TuneIn, 
uh, Google Podcast, and any place that you get your podcast, even Amazon Music now has TNN Live. I'm going to put up three different podcasts today. One will be of the whole show. The second will be will be the interview that we had with Congressman Mike Johnson. And the third will be the one with Steve Baker that you just heard. You can grab them, download them, and do with them whatever you want. But I want you to be able to share them. I want you to have those for you. And I want them to make it as easy as possible for you to refer back to those because they're, they're very important things that are happening. When you hear from an inside lawmaker like Mike Johnson, who's in Republican leadership in the Congress, in the House of Representatives, and you hear from Steve Baker that went voluntarily and is in the middle of the actual human trafficking that's going on by the cartels in Mexico coming up and trafficking girls specifically in Houston, those are really big deals. We need to stay on top of that. Well, we talk about our government having uh, no pushback and just taking little bits of more and more power over the people. Do you know the name Alex Marlowe? You've heard it before, I'm sure. He's the editor-in-chief of Breitbart News. Let me tell you what he's done. Yesterday, he filed a formal Internal Revenue Service complaint against the George Soros-backed Good Information Foundation. Now, what's this all about? That organization is attempting to tamper with the 2022 midterms. Marlowe made the announcement during an appearance on the Charlie Kirk Show yesterday, and he stated that this particular 501c3, that's a tax-exempt organization, Good Information Foundation, he said they appear to be participating in activities that violate federal law that prohibits such tax-free organizations from, quote, directly or indirectly participating in or intervening in any political campaign. Charlie Kirk called the official complaint a potential marker in the sand because the onus rests with the IRS now that the agency has been officially notified. Here's what he said, Marlowe. So earlier today, I filed a complaint, yes, as a journalist, but also as an American individual who thinks that this is clear corruption. I don't trust the government to look into it unless someone like me reaches out. He filed this complaint less than a week after attorney and legal commentator Preston Moore posted a video. In the video, he said he was offered and he rejected $400 by the Good Information Foundation to make a video attacking Donald Trump and Trump Republicans. The foundation allegedly wanted more to create the video about January 6th and post it on his social media platforms where they wanted to reach the widest possible audience. It became really clear that they wanted me to use the most graphic images possible, Moore said. They wanted me to use fear to manipulate people into voting blue or into voting not Trump. And when they're giving examples of things they wanted me to say, don't say Trump and his allies, say Trump Republicans. It became really clear that this was about putting out information to impact midterm elections. Marlowe said if what more is true, 
we are seeing flagrant violations of 501c3 rules that forbid people from participating in politics, both directly or indirectly. And you would think that in an era where we are talking about adding 87,000 new IRS agents, this would be front and center for the IRS. As was previously reported, the Good Information Foundation's website states that it is the 501c3 nonprofit arm of Good Information Incorporated, a public benefit corporation committed to restoring social trust and strengthening democracy by investing in solutions that counter disinformation and increase the flow of good information online. Yeah, like purposely get somebody to create a video that's negative to somebody that's not even running for anything right now, Donald Trump. Wow. Good Information, Inc., which is backed by billionaires Reed Hoffman, George Soros, and others, it was established back in 2021 to fund media companies and efforts that tackle disinformation. Efforts that tackle disinformation. That's exactly what they're wanting to create, disinformation. So their 501c3 status is really notable because the designation is typically reserved for organizations that serve some type of noble public interest, such as public education, charitable work. A 501c3 designation allows these organizations to forego paying taxes on their revenue and allow donors to deduct right off their donations. Breitbart News has asked the IRS if the Good Information Foundation's alleged activities put the organization in violation of 501c3 rules. The IRS said it could not comment on the legality of an organization's actions without an official audit that pointed to the aforementioned federal statute. He said specifically he was paid to go after Trump Republicans and MAGA Republicans. He specifically used the word midterms. So he was being told by this organization, if he's to be believed, and there's no reason not to believe him based on all of this, he was being told to meddle in the 2022 elections and use tax-exempt status to do just that to explicitly help Democrat candidates. Charlie Kirk. I have a lot of respect for Charlie. He's a real close friend of a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine from out in Phoenix. Kirk described Soros' foundation, good, a Good Information Foundation, and another similar organization as operating kind of like a traveling circus or a build-a-tent-and-collapse-it model. Good Information, Inc. appears to be a reiteration of acronym, which was partly funded by Lauren Powell Jobs, Steve Jobs' wife, and Reed Hoffman. Notably, Hoffman has a history of funding organizations accused of election tampering. He previously issued an apology back in 2018 following news that he spent three-quarters of a million bucks funding an organization that used tactics modeled on Russian influence operations specifically to spread disinformation about the Republican candidate, Roy Moore, on Facebook 
and on LinkedIn. Acronym Operated Courier Newsroom, which is a network of left-wing media websites posing as local news sources, and was notorious for funding Shadow Inc., the Democrat Party-contracted firm that delayed reporting during the Iowa caucuses. Now, all that you just heard, the reason I wanted to give it to you is to illustrate to you how devious and how deep it runs among left organizations like this, Good Information Foundation, George Soros, Lauren Powell Jobs, Reed Hoffman, many, many other people. It's not about them simply writing a check. It's about them participating in and structuring the method to directly impact election results, which in any state, in any location, within the borders of the United States, is a federal crime. And yet, they've been doing it for a long, long time, obviously, and they're very, very creative in putting their operations together. And until now, this is the first time maybe maybe Zuckerberg and his wife, what they did in the 2020 election cycle, it was kind of similar to what Good Information Foundation is trying to do. But it's not the same. They were given money, and they were giving money specifically to the right people to which they wanted to give it so they would make results. But there's no record of the Zuckerbergs coming out and saying, I want you to do this and do this like is happening here. Axios reported back in October of 2021, Good Information Incorporated, also backed by Hoffman and Soros, among others, acquired acronym for an undisclosed sum of money. The founder and CEO of Good Information, Inc., former Democrat strategist Tara McGowan, also happens to be the founder and the CEO of Acronym and the publisher of Courier Newsroom. It's a web, and it's a pretty deep web, and it's got tentacles out the wazoo. There's more stuff going on. Man, all our time just flew by today, having Congressman Johnson and Steve on the on the, the show. Glad to have both of them really are. Guess what's happening over in Russia? Vladimir Putin has granted Russian citizenship to Edward Snowden. Remember him, Edward Snowden? Putin signed a decree yesterday granting Snowden citizenship nearly two years after our National Security Administration, the NSA whistleblower, petitioned for it along with his wife, citing a fear of being separated from their son in this era of pandemics and closed borders. Snowden has not renounced his U.S. citizenship, but he remains wanted by American authorities on charges of theft of government property and violation of the Espionage Act. Snowden was granted permanent residency in Russia back in 2020. He was one of 75 foreign nationals granted citizenship yesterday. He's lived in Russia since 2013 while evading capture by U.S. law enforcement. He's wanted for allegedly leaking highly classified documents that exposed several 
global surveillance operations involving our NSA and other government agencies back in 2013. He initially took off to Hong Kong in May of 2013 before passing the documents to journalists, including Glenn Greenwald in June, before making his way to Russia later that month after the Department of State revoked his passport. Putin initially described Snowden's fleeing to Russia as an unwanted Christmas president in 2013, said he should leave the country, but Russia has repeatedly refused to extradite him to the U.S. in the years since. A bunch of American politicians and activists have petitioned for Snowden to be pardoned, characterizing him as a freedom fighter who exposed government corruption and spying against its own citizens. Critics label him as a traitor for leaking government secrets, including revealing sensitive information to China on American efforts to infiltrate Communist China Party institutions. It's a sinister world in which we find ourselves living. It really is, and it's far-reaching, and almost daily, we hear more and more factual data and information that prove our government is basically operating, in part at least, as Big Brother. They're looking down and doing everything and anything they can do to control every American, every part of our lives. It's a scary thing. This war between Russia and Ukraine, it continues to go on. And you know, the, the thing that just shocks me the most about this, this war in Ukraine is the tens of billions of dollars that the United States has just dumped into Ukraine's lap. No accountability, no looking over the shoulders to make sure it's used properly. And of course, especially in this administration, does anybody believe that the government is going to spend our money properly and then let alone a government like Ukraine that is known to be one of the most financially, economically corrupt countries on the planet. Guess what? Congress complied with Joe's request to include $12 billion more for Ukraine in a stopgap funding bill. Republican senators remain divided over whether to support the funding request in this CR, or continuing resolution. That's a bill that needs to be passed by the 30th of this month to stop a government shutdown. However, a source familiar with the ongoing negotiations said Congress had agreed to $12 billion in aid on top of the $40 billion authorized in May. So we'll be up to 52 billion dollars for Ukraine. That just blows my mind. Nobody says anything. It's just a number, 52 billion. Republican Senator John Cornyn of Texas said the fundraising package would contain a combination of military, humanitarian, and economic assistance. I think whatever we do in Ukraine, we ought to be doing it separately from the continuing resolution. That's what Florida Senator Rick Scott said. I think we've got to have a clean, continuing resolution that goes through Congress. Well, first of all, you're not going to see any bill go through Congress bare naked with contents of the bill just be about the one thing the bill is supposed to be about. They load them all up with all kind of pork and 
pet projects, and money giveaways. I wonder if there will ever be any accountability for this Ukraine debacle. Now it looks like it's going to be up to $52 billion. Now think about it going to Ukraine and think about what they're known for. Corruption, financial corruption at the highest level on planet Earth. How much of that $52 billion went directly to Ukraine's operation in the war against Russia? If you're like me, you'll shake your head and say, I doubt if half of it. I bet you it's in people's pockets. Ukrainian oligarchs. Maybe in President Zelensky's pocket. I I don't know, but I'm sure a bunch of it is being passed around. Well, we've got the midterms coming up. And then before we will even know it, two years will be gone by and we'll be having another congressional election, but also a president and vice presidential election in 2024. And looking ahead at that, who might be running Speculation is abundant that Donald Trump is going to, he's going to put his hat in the ring to run again. And of course, Democrat Joe Biden depends on what day you, you, you talk to him. Sometimes he's definitely going to run again. Sometimes I'm thinking about it. I'll let you know. But in the wake of all of that, and in the wake of his horrible actions as president, just 35% of Democrat and Democrat-leaning independents want him to run for the nomination in 2024. This is not of everybody. This is of his own party, 35%. A majority of 56% of Democrats and Democrat-leading independents prefer the Democrat Party drop Joe Biden from atop the 24 presidential ticket and find somebody else. Polling shows. Who do you think they want? 16% for Michelle Obama. 6% for Hillary. 6% for Vice President Kamala Harris. I got to be honest with you, when you look at all of them, you, you throw Joe Biden in that group. I don't want any one of those people at the White House. I don't. I don't think any of them can get the job done. Biden's approval rating is underwater. Only 39% approve, 53% disapprove. On CBS's 60 Minutes last Sunday, Biden said it is his intention to run again in 2024. But he noted, ah, it's just an intention. I'm thinking about it. That's what you do if you're a politician. You find the right time to tell people what you're going to do. Well, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. We're going to get all this stuff out there for you. Mike Johnson, Steve Baker, we'll get those up along with our podcast of today's show. And we're going to say, you have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock sharp, here at TNN Live. Have a great one.
Dream that you dare to why? 